You're listening to Where the World Comes to Talk. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. This is Jerry Prokopovich. What happens when a president leaves office? Warren G. Harding had the largest public funeral since Lincoln's, but not long after that his public reputation began to plummet till it reached the bottom of the presidential pile. Harry Truman and Dwight Eisenhower were considered second raters or worse in their lifetimes, but their reputations have risen steadily since. Of all American chief executives, none has had a more unexpected post-presidential career than Jefferson Davis, leader of the so-called Confederate States of America. Today we'll talk with Donald E. Collins, author of The Death and Resurrection of Jefferson Davis on Civil War Talk Radio. to improve fuel efficiency and reduce emissions. Check. Acoustic and optical wayside monitors to enhance safety. Check. Robotic systems to measure track geometry. Check. GPS tracking and tracing systems. Check. Sounds like a rocket or a jet getting ready for takeoff, doesn't it? Actually, it's something just as technologically advanced. A freight train. There's a new world of technology riding the rails that makes today's freight railroads more fuel efficient, safer, and cleaner running than ever. With wireless communications, transponders, and trackside readers that can pinpoint a shipment's location at speeds of up to 80 miles an hour, North America's freight railroads are driving the technology required by today's businesses and consumers. And with everything from apples to computers moving by rail, we wouldn't have it any other way. Chances are, the things you'll use tomorrow are taking the train today. Tomorrow, arriving by train. Sponsored by North America's Freight Railroads. Mission Critical. Two words that describe the data vital to every e-commerce website. If your company needs the services of an unparalleled co-location facility, you need to remember these two words. Castle Access. With Castle Access, your Internet servers will be secure in environmentally controlled data centers that offer high-speed managed Internet access and the highest standards of 24-7 customer support. For more info, visit castleaccess.com. Castle Access. We keep you online all the time. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, speaking from my office at East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but not representing the ideas or policies of the university nor speaking on its behalf or indeed having anything to do with it for the next hour as we talk about the Civil War and the period around that time. I want to start first by thanking all the many listeners who've supported the program. As the website indicates, uh, donations are appreciated to help pay the bills of this show. Uh, just keeping the lights on and the phone bell paid is something we need to do. And we're able to do that with your generous contributions. Thank you very much for keeping those coming in. Today we're going to talk about Jefferson Davis. Uh, as said in the introduction, he was, of course, the leader of the so-called Confederate States of America, which um, we'll mention in a minute. The 
career of Davis is well known to most people who've read about the Civil War. But today we're going to look uh, not just at his career, but at his post-presidential career, and indeed his career after his funeral or funerals. And to do that, we'll talk with Donald E. Collins, author of The Death and Resurrection of Jefferson Davis. Don, are you there? I'm here. Uh, Don, how are you this morning? I'm doing fine. It's uh, good to talk to you. You and I have uh, known each other since I came here to East Carolina. Indeed, I think uh, you may have once occupied the office I'm sitting in. Is that right? Uh, no, I was uh, downstairs. You were on the the other floor. Did you have right. this phone number then, perhaps? Did I? Uh, I know. I, when I, may, per- I I may have. I think when I first got uh, to East Carolina, uh, you had recently retired or, or were about to retire. But for some reason, your phone number uh, was listed on the the campus directory, uh, or your name was on on the phone number in my office, and I fielded a number of calls for you for the first. Week. <laughs> that, that's interesting. So, uh, but now we're all straightened out. Uh, you are in, enjoying the emeritus status, and you've produced this very interesting book on uh, the the death and resurrection of Jefferson Davis. That, that's quite a title. Um, let, let's talk about Davis. I mentioned in the introduction he was the, the leader of the, the so-called Confederacy, which was actually a tribute to our mutual colleague here at East Carolina, uh, Charles Calhoun. Uh, he, he told me that when he speaks to uh, Sons of Confederate veterans or other local groups uh, on the late 19th century, which is his era, he tends to refer to the Confederacy as the so-called Confederacy, just to get everybody's blood pressure going up through the roof. <clears throat> so uh, I threw that in there for his benefit, uh, yeah. if, if not yours necessarily. Anyway, um, well, tell us about Davis. How did you get interested in the subject of, of Jefferson Davis? Um, actually, I knew very little about Jefferson Davis when I started this project. Uh, it came uh, to me by accident, as a lot of my uh, books and articles and so forth have come to me. Uh, I was at a lady's house one time, and she had a box full of uh, uh, 19th century newspapers and other material, and she gave it to me. And in it was a May 31st, uh, an 1893 issue of the Wilmington Messenger, in which the entire issue was taken up with a with a blow by blow description of Jefferson Davis's funeral train when he was uh, reburied after having been dead for three years, reburied in Richmond, and I, I had never heard of it, and I it fascinated me. So I started doing more research, and I discovered that nobody had ever written about it. Um, it was just a completely new topic that was buried that was just buried someplace, and it ought to be told. Well, oh, uh, so Davis was was buried in 1893, you said, yes. but this was not for the first time. No, he was buried temporarily in Metairie Cemetery in, in New Orleans, where he uh, where he had died, and uh, there was a uh, this, uh, there, there was a competition between southern cities. Uh, there were about nine different southern cities and, and eight different southern states that all wanted his body and a permanent uh, site for his burial. And there was, uh, and so they all, with it, while Davis was still lying dead uh, in his uh, the home that he died, uh, states, uh, various uh, cities started petitioning Mrs. Davis uh, for his body, and so she had a decision to make, and it took her about two years to make it, and uh, she now, finally just yes. So she ends up choosing uh, Virginia, but this gets a little ahead of our story because when most people think of Jefferson Davis. Uh, as Confederate president, they think of a, a 
divisive and unpopular figure. So during the war, he was not the most popular president. Is that not correct? Uh, he, he went downhill during his presidency. Uh-huh. I say for Davis personally, accepting the presidency was the biggest mistake of his life. Do you think he should not have done so? Uh, if he wanted to follow through with the ambitions, which I think he might have had, I think he should have done so. It's my uh, speculation that he could have become president of the United States. Not necessarily, but he was on a track that could have carried him there. The, before the war? Before the war. Right. He was popular in the North and in the South. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of the war, uh, when the, after Davis had been selected president of the Confederacy, Northern newspapers papers were optimistic that there would be no war because Davis was a moderate uh, and a reasonable, reasonable man. So he's not among the fire eaters. He was not a fire eater. Okay. But he does secede. He goes with the state, and he becomes president. Did he, did he consider not taking the presidency? Uh, Davis was a person that felt he should do his duty. And, and his duty was to uh, accept the presidency when it was offered. It wouldn't have been his first choice. He would rather have been in the Army, in command of the uh, Army of Mississippi. Now, at, at the first Battle of Manassas, of course, he rides out to the battlefield mm-hmm. uh, while the fighting really has just ended or is still, still tailing off. Do you suppose he would have been a successful battlefield general? He possibly could have. Uh, he was certainly a, a, a good officer in the Mexican War, um, and uh, he was, as you, you know, he was the hero of the Battle of Monterey and, and, uh, and Buena Vista. And uh, when the war was over with, he was offered a generalship in the army, which he turned down because to, to, to accept a generalship in the uh, in the army from a president was a violation of states' rights, which he wouldn't do. Uh. So, but he does end up becoming Secretary of War. He does end up becoming Secretary of War, and he was a good administrator, one of the best Secretaries of War in American history. So he has this promising career before uh, secession. But then he decides to go with his state and, and and becomes president. As president, though, you said this was the worst choice he ever made. Uh, yeah. it, this doesn't work out for him. What goes yeah. wrong? Mrs. Davis uh, made a comment uh, during, when he was inaugurated uh, as permanent president of the Confederacy and, and uh, saying that, uh, she says, now begins his martyrdom. And uh, I, from that point on, uh, from at least from the end of the war on, when Southerners thought of Davis, they didn't think of president of the Confederate States. They didn't think of anything else. They thought of martyr. Martyr, he was primarily the Southern martyr until after uh, 1900. And uh, and it was the problems he had as president that, that uh, well, um, that led to his defeat. Partly it was personality, partly it was just problems dealing with the war and uh, things that he couldn't avoid. James, I think it's McPherson who's written that if the North and South could somehow have traded chief executives, uh, the Confederacy would have won. Uh, I, I don't know if that's meant to be high praise for Lincoln or a high condemnation of, uh, of Davis. What do you I'm, think of that? I'm going to disagree. Okay. <laughs> uh, because all the material uh, uh, size, population, everything else was favored the North. Uh, I don't think anybody could have done better with the Confederate government, given uh, the Confederacy's contentiousness and, and uh, the 
strong belief in states' rights and that you don't uh, you don't violate states' rights even in wartime because otherwise you fight for. Uh, David uh, Lincoln would have had the same problems as Davis did. Mm-hmm. That, but Lincoln might have been more diplomatic uh, in dealing with his generals and with Congress. Mm-hmm. Although Lincoln did have his problem, problems with the uh, uh, with the more, more radical Republicans in Congress too. So it sounds like you would go with uh, David Donald's old uh, theory, "Died of Democracy," that the Confederacy was too too dedicated to states' rights to uh, form a successful war-fighting government. I would agree with that. Yes, um, Davis, uh, uh, interestingly enough, is spending his entire life as a defender of states' rights, was not a defender of states' rights or even a practitioner of states' rights during for the four years of the war. He 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 ruled the government. He wanted a strong central government that would win, and uh, and it was this uh, tendency towards a strong central government that lost him the support of the governors of the various states and uh, of the members of Congress. So by the war's end, Davis is an unpopular figure with, with many Confederates, having, having worked toward centralization and uh, yeah. other things. Yeah, and, he was... And, a, Go ahead, then. Go ahead. Now, he was unpopular uh, with uh, with a lot of categories. Uh, he had enemies in the southern press. Uh, Edward Pollard of the Richmond Dispatch uh, just hated Davis, was a loyal Confederate, but thought Davis was the pro- pro- was the primary problem of the Confederacy. The Charleston uh, newspapers, uh, South Carolina newspapers, uh, were anti-Davis. Um, you had he had the problems with uh, various generals like Joe Johnson and, and Beauregard, who had friends in the con- Confederate Congress, who then also worked against Davis. Uh, you had uh, you had the, you know the inflation, which uh, and and the loss of battles, which turned the the public against him. Uh, he had so many problems that uh, I don't see how in the world he, he could have survived. They were done better. So then the war ends. What ha- the Southern people, one would think, would then say, "Well, well, good riddance to you, having having failed to lead us to victory." What happens to Davis after the war? Well, uh, the interesting thing is, is that uh, Davis was blamed for the war, uh, for uh, at least what everybody said at the time, because he was the president, and the presidents are blamed for defeats. And so Davis's popularity uh, drops drastically immediately when upon the war's end. But but military officers like Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson, they never did suffer a decline in popularity. Uh, so his, his being the politician and the leader of the country gave him the blame. And uh, as you know, the uh, I refer to uh, various resurrections, the resurrection of Jefferson Davis. The first resurrection of Jefferson Davis was uh, took place during his first week in, in uh prison when they imprisoned him uh, in solitary confinement in Fort Monroe, uh, Virginia. When they put the shackles and chains on him, which didn't last for more than a day or two, uh, that that won him back the sympathy of the southern people and even some northerners. And so he won the sympathy. Uh, He he became, from that very act and the two years he spent in in the prison, that, that very act uh, Southerners saw that as uh, suffering for them, and from that point on, uh, if you, whenever they talked about Davis, the press talked about Davis, they wrote po- poetry about Davis. 
they, uh, speeches and so forth, they always referred to Davis as our martyr, um, the man who suffered uh, so that we wouldn't have to. So, so that's really the, the turning point, then, is the imprisonment at, at Fort Monroe. Yeah. Um, uh, what's this? Uh, Edward Pollard made a statement, uh, that, and he's the, the man who came up with the, with the lost cause phrase. Uh, he said uh, that if the North had left Davis alone and not imprisoned him, Davis would have died in, obscur- in obscurity and never have uh, risen again. And some people agree with that. And I think it's a possibly true. Near the, the end of the war, Lincoln had a meeting with his cabinet where he talked about uh, doing what he could to avoid punishing the former Confederate leaders. He hoped they would leave the country and, and there would be no trials or punishments. And I, I guess one can see Lincoln's foresight in this, that it is not the behavior of Davis, but the, the punishment of Davis that leads to him being, as you say, resurrected yes. as a Confederate hero. So, so if he had never been shackled, Pollard says nothing would have. Uh, he would hardly be remembered. Now, Davis himself, though, is working hard to be remembered. He he writes a lot, does does he? Uh, does he not when he's in? Prison? He he writes a lot, but I don't see Davis as. T- first of all, the, the the New South movement, which you may be planning to get into, but the New South movement was an attempt to resurrect. Uh, fond or memories of the Confederacy, as opposed to, to a remembering uh, the defeat and the disaster of the war. And so uh, so the idea is to, is to sort of uh, write histories that look favorably on co- the Confederacy, Confederate general states' rights, and so forth. And uh, Davis uh, benefited by that, but I don't think he, he wrote that much. Uh, he, his primary concern was was with just trying to live um, for for most of his life. He he did write the book on on the the uh, history of the Confederate government, uh, which was not well received. Uh, he uh, he wrote a few articles, and a lot of times the articles had nothing to do with the Civil War. He wrote them primarily for money to to uh, raise his fa- to take care of his family with. But I don't see him as writing that much. So it's not his own efforts and that, that, that rehabilitate him as much as the treatment he receives. Uh, right. He does, however, after he's, he's released from prison, uh, near the end of his life, he goes on a sort of farewell tour of the South, kind of like, like the Rolling Stones or something. Uh, right. Going from city to city. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, Davis uh, didn't speak that much in public uh, after the war. I think the first time he actually spoke in public was on the death of Robert E. Lee, which uh, I think was in uh, 1871. And then he made making another speech a year after that, and made a few speeches after that. But there are not more than maybe one or two in a year. And in several years, he'd go without making any real public speeches. And uh, Davis knew that he was that he was popular uh, because at his home in Beauvoir, he would be visited by uh, by his former enemies, by by the famous people of the world, authors, and so forth. He knew he was popular, but he didn't know how popular. And uh, he didn't plan it. The Southern tour was totally unplanned. Um, the mayor of uh, Montgomery, Alabama, wanted Davis to uh, come and, and be, be at the dedication of the Confederate monument, which was uh, on, right in front of the Capitol grounds where Davis had been sworn in as president of the Confederacy. And uh, he came down, and Davis said, told him no. 
he didn't want to do it. And uh, he and so the mayor was the uh, wreath of uh, Montgomery was persistent. And he kept going after him. And finally, Verena uh, Davis, uh, Davis uh, Davis's wife, told uh, Mayor Reese what he needed to do to get Davis to agree. He says, "Tell you, uh, he says, uh, use your daughter, uh, his daughters, as an excuse. He dotes on them. He says, tell them that they shouldn't, uh, he shouldn't die without letting his daughters know uh, how fond the people of the South were uh, from that." Uh, of him, and so then he says, "I'll do it. I'll do it," and he and he agreed to it. But the trip was to be one trip. Not, he was not to speak. He was just to sit on the platform. It was to be Montgomery, Alabama, and then Georgia was added. Georgia was added for political reasons, um, and Henry Grady uh, of the Atlanta Constitution was trying to get uh, General Gordon, uh, John B. Gordon, elected president. I mean, governor of Georgia. And he thought that uh, seeing Davis alongside of uh, uh, Gordon alongside of Davis uh, would help him win the governorship. So he he convinces Davis to go on and go to to Atlanta. And then uh, Savannah, uh, Georgia is added because they were rededicating a monument to Nathaniel Green, and Nathaniel Green was uh, Davis's father had served under Nathaniel Green in the Revolution. So for sentimental reasons, he agreed to Savannah, and uh, and so he 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 took these. Um, he he went on the tour. So this tour yeah. was is not initially planned by him, but grows into something much bigger than he expected. It, it, it grows We're, into something bigger than he expected. We're going to take a short break now. We'll come back in just a few minutes and talk more about the curious death and resurrection of Jefferson Davis with our guest Don Collins here on Civil War talk radio. 